Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 to 17. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth and no plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth. Note, and there was no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden and from there it separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Ashur. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Thanks, Julie. Good morning, everybody. Wonderful to see you all. Thanks for coming. Could have been other places on a Sunday morning, but you're here and we've been encountering the Lord together. Now, uh, before I begin my uh, teaching proper, if you like, uh, I want to bring a separate message first. So you get two for the price of one, so to speak, today. You could get even more than that. We'll see how this goes. So, look, there's a lot of material I see in the media about uh, mental health issues have any of you noticed that? Like, and about there's things about parents, you know, your children are anxious. Well, no wonder, like, every message you're hearing is be terrified of a virus, um, you know, all these kind of things that are going on. So, um, watched a television commercial last night, which was uh, produced, which, you know, was about here's how you can help your children. The problem for me was. It had some reasonable advice, but it had nothing godly. Of course, you would go, well, Wayne, why would you expect that in the media? Why would you expect our government to be advertising God? I'm not expecting them to be advertising God. I'm expecting them to be telling people how to, how to be okay. Where would you go in the scriptures? Those of you that know the Bible, where's your, where would you turn to coach your children to be confident in the middle of a pandemic, pandemic. Where we, don't call it out. Just, just go. Just you know, if you're a husband and wife here, just turn and look at each other. And just go. Where would we go? 
Or what, maybe you're already doing this, which would be brilliant. That's what I hope. You're like, Wayne, we're, we're way out in front of you. You're, you're playing catch up with us this morning, Wayne, because we're already ahead of that. This is what we've been speaking into our children. This is what we've been speaking to ourselves in the middle of this to help us with our, to not be overwhelmed by anxiety about something that we can't see or control. Got something? Who's got something? Put you just indicate. Yep. Good. All right. Here's where I would encourage you to go. This is one. There's, there's multiple places we could go, but here's one. Please, if you've got a Bible with you, open it to Philippians, Paul's letter to the believers in the city of Philippi, and go to the fourth chapter. Let's very quickly look at this. This is, and if you want to write it down or take notes, please do so, so that you can go and look it up at home if you don't have a Bible with you this morning. This is a great passage to sit and, and listen to what, what Paul is speaking to these, these people. So this is chapter 4, verse 6. And he says to them, now there's a lot of material that goes before he gets to this. So it would help to be familiar with that. But I don't have time to walk you through from Philippians 1 all the way through. So, I mean, all, th- all through his letter. But here you, could, here you go, here you could start in verse 6. And he's encouraged them, saying, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Do you see the contrast? So straight away, he's not just saying, don't worry about anything. He's saying, instead of worrying about things, pray. You want good mental health? You want your children to have good mental health? Teach them to pray. Teach them who God is. Pray. About everything. And here's specifically what Paul says. Tell God what you need. Wonderful. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Thankfulness is enormously powerful in terms of a person's mental health. You want to be, have healthy mental health? Cultivate thankfulness. What are you thankful for? Basic things. We take so many things for granted. Who's thankful that they're alive at a time when we have a safe drinking water supply in our homes? Who's thankful that we live in a time where we have toilets that flush? Like these things, see, we take all this for granted. Who's thankful that you had a bed to sleep in last night? Yeah, everyone's like, yeah, that was me. It's good. So we pray about things and we thank God for everything. We tell God what we need. We thank him for all he's done. Then what happens, Paul says, is then we experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And God's peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. God's peace. People, we need God's peace to be guarding our hearts and minds. In the swirl of all that's going on, in all the messages, and we're getting constantly bombarded of messages to be afraid of things. His peace guards our hearts and minds as we live in Christ Jesus. 
And then Paul goes on, he says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Here's one final thing. Here's the end of it. Fix your thoughts. In other words, train your thoughts. Train your brain, your thinking on things that are true, honourable, right, pure, lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Wow. In other words, don't let you... The, the wonderful thing about being a human being is we have capacity to choose what we think about. It's a big thing on that, but that's, that's, the, that's the reality. You have a choice. What you're thinking about is you have a choice about that. And this is what Scripture, t- Paul tells in other places. Take every thought captive. In other words, there's places that your mind wants to run and there's messages that come into your mind that want to push your mind in one way. You've got to grab hold of your mind, people. You've got to go, no, I'm not going there. I'm going here. I'm going to think about things that are true, things that are honourable, things that are right, pure, lovely and admirable. I'm going to think about things that are excellent, things that are worthy of praise. Wouldn't that be a great place to start? You wake up in the morning and go, what's worthy of praise? Who's worthy of praise? And the answer, of course, is God. God's worthy of praise. That's what we've been doing this morning. If this morning your spirit was lifted as we were focusing on God, as we were singing to him, as we were worshipping him, it's because he's worthy of those things. And when we fix our mind on him, things shift for us. So, that's the end of the first message for today. You want good mental health? Use Philippians 4, 6 onwards. Practice that. Teach to your children. Model it. Cultivate it in your own heart. Just take those things one at a time and learn to be do it. Learn to do it. So, okay, let's go. Let's have the title slide, which is up there. Fantastic. So last uh, week I began this conversation about impeccable lies, and I told you that I got that phrase from Eugene Peterson's brilliant book on discipleship called "A Long Obedience in the Same Direction." Let me just quickly say again, there is no other form of discipleship than following Jesus obediently for your whole life. That's why, it's a, that's why he taught it. A long obedience in the same direction. If there's no obedience to Jesus, we are not his disciple. If we are obeying Jesus and we keep on obeying Jesus and we do that all the days of our lives, we are his disciple. That's very clearly what the Bible teaches us. So, uh, the phrase impeccable lies, I said last week that it means free from fault or blame, it's a flawless thing. But often impeccable lies have a seed of truth in them. This is a bit of review. If you missed it last week, you can go back and listen to it or watch it online. Um, and I said that often impeccable lies have this seed of truth in them. The seed of truth acts like the bait that hides the fisherman's hook from the fish so that they're unsuspecting fish chomp bites down on something they think is going to be awesome. I've caught something and they find they themselves have been caught. So now we are living in a culture that is swimming in lies and they're impeccable lies and they don't run around saying, I'm a lie, I'm a lie, I'm a lie, I'm here to destroy you, I'm a lie. They don't do that. That's not how they work. Um, But the thing is that we can hear things so often that we just get used to it and we become numb to it and we no longer think of it as something that isn't true. We start to believe it and, the, and what's worse is we begin for that to cult- be how we live our lives 
And we actually can begin to repeat these lies to our friends because we've lost the grid. We've lost a perspective that it's actually a lie. Okay. Uh, if I can have the next slide, thanks. Uh, Walter Scott wrote this uh, great and immortal phrase a, couple, a long time ago. What a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. How many of you have heard that before? So you, some of you have read his book, obviously. Maybe not, but you've heard the, heard the line. It's a pretty legendary one. So what Scott is saying is that um, when we start lying... Uh, life gets very complicated and eventually we find ourselves caught in the trap, in the web of the lies of our own making and we cannot escape. We've been spinning a web of lies and we find that actually the person that's been caught is us in our web of lies. So um, now, it's Jesus wonderfully warned us to be aware that people are going to try to deceive us. Isn't that good news? Like, be aware. Like, people are going to try to deceive you. Be aware. So uh, Jesus said this in Matthew 24. He said it three times in that one chapter. Words to this effect. He says, watch out. Let no one deceive you. Watch out. He's just walking through life and it's like, watch out, let no one deceive you. And Paul warned as well when he wrote to Timothy, he said, evil people and imposters will flourish. What? Hang on. Evil people and imposters should be the ones that end up in jail. No, Paul says evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and they themselves will be deceived. They will deceive people and they will end up being deceived. And so he says, Paul says to Timothy, you've got to watch out. There are people who are out there who will appear to be flourishing. But what they're doing is they're webbing, weaving a web of deceit and lies. They will seek to deceive people, but in the end, they themselves will be deceived. So we have to watch out, people, is what the message of the scriptures is saying. Um, so that we can keep. So the question is, when we lose our perspective on what's real, when we lose our perspective on truth, we, be we become horribly distorted people. We lose our capacity to discern good from evil, right from wrong, truth from error. And Jesus says, James, Jesus' brother said this, temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. Well, temptation comes from our own desires. Um, so in other words, he's saying you can't blame other people for the temptation that you go on with uh, that leads you away. He said these desires give birth to sinful actions and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So again, we've got wonderful warning here from James, the brother of Jesus. He's saying to us that this thing called temptation is going to come to us, but it's actually our own desires that will entice us and drag us away. And if we don't take control over those desires, they will give birth birth to something called sinful actions it will be behavior that's uh, wrong in the eyes of God and that when we let that sin grow it's going to give birth to something that kills us it's going to give birth to death and sin in the Bible 
always leads to death unless there is repentance. It's a wonderful thing, right? It's a wonderfully clear message. And if you take nothing else away from today, take this away. Unrepented sin always leads to death. Unrepented sin always leads to death. Repentance delivers us from death into life with Christ. So that's why as a pastor here, as the pastors here, we are constantly calling people to repentance. Because we love you. Because we don't want you to die. In essence, you see, in the Garden of Eden, when the serpent in chapter 3, and we read this passage last week, the serpent comes to Eve and contradicts what God says. And, uh, and when Eve says, no, we, can't eat, we can eat the fruit of every tree except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if we eat that, we'll die. And the serpent says, you won't die. It's like, oh, really? We won't die? Wow. God's been lying to me. He said we would die. And she sees that the fruit is pleasing to her eyes. The desire, you see? Now, I I purposely wonder whether, in fact, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in all of God's beautiful creation might, I'm wondering whether it was actually perhaps the most beautiful tree of all the trees. Now, I'm not saying it was, and I can't prove that. But I notice in the text, when she looked at the tree and she saw that it was pleasing and the fruit was desirable, right? So, in other words, I don't think the tree of the knowledge of good and evil looked like a spindly bit of spinifex that you wouldn't want to chow down on. I think it looked something good. That's what, that's what tempt, to be tempting, it has to be, have an appeal, doesn't it? Like, you're not tempted. If someone says, to, if off, offering you food, and you're thinking, oh, I've had more than enough to eat, right? And they come up to you with something that is your favorite food, right? And they say, just have a little bit more of this. If it's your favorite food, and you love the taste, and, the person who, and you know that the person who cooked it, they cooked it the way that you love it, what are you going to do? You're going to say yes to that temptation, even though you are already very full, right? Okay. But if they came up to you, if they said, oh, look, my child just vomited. Uh, are you hungry? Right? Is there a temptation in that? Uh, no one's tempted by that. You see, so temptation has to have an appeal to it. So that's why we have to recognize that it's a temptation that's leading us somewhere. Now, if you think about it, the lie from Satan, you won't die, was a lie. Why was it a lie? Because they ate it and they didn't die, did they? They didn't instantly drop dead. But something inside died. Their relationship with God was all messed up from that point. That died. Their relationship with each other died. Their relationships all died instantly. They experienced shame instantly and immediately were ashamed of what they had done and tried to cover it up. And they did die physically as well, but that was a more progressive thing. One of the things to realize is that sin leading to death, as the scriptures have been talking about, isn't necessarily an instant thing. 
it's, it's a road that we go down. And if we don't turn around, which is repentance, turning around, going back to the way God said to go, it leads to death. So this is why we want to, we want to be able to be people who are out of the tree of life. If I could have the next slide, please. So in the garden, God put two trees. No. Now God planted a garden. Who'd like God to plant a garden at their place? Oh, please. I could use the help. Um, you know. So God. So Genesis tells us all about creation. And then there's this wonderful thing. It says, and in the region called Eden, God planted a garden. So within, so within the bigger creation of the earth, there's a region called Eden. And within Eden, there's this garden that God plants himself. And in the middle of that garden, he puts two trees now, this is sort of the best kind of physic, uh, picture that I could find of sort of two trees. Um, anyway, but, and the choice was, of, was between the two trees. So God was saying, I want you to, I want you to gorge yourself on the tree of life, basically. But I, and I want you to fast from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't want you to have anything to do with that. Why would God not want them to have anything to do with good and evil? Just think for a moment. Hang on. Isn't knowing good and evil, isn't that like a good thing to know good and evil? Why does God not want them to eat from the tree of good and evil? This is an important question. I'm not asking you to call your answers out. It's not a test. I just want you to think about why does he not want them? He wants them to, he wants them to live. He wants them to eat all the time from the tree of life. And he's saying, and from the other plants in the garden, by the way. Because it was all wonderful. There was plenty. It was like a smorgasbord. It's the best buffet that you've ever imagined in your entire life. If you, some of you have been to some good buffets. But I'm telling you, the Garden of Eden was a buffet beyond anything you can imagine. But in that, one, in that garden, there's one tree. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why is that? The knowledge of good and evil. Here's my answer. Could be different to yours. Uh, so... My answer is that God has defined what's good and evil and we're to go with his definitions of good and evil, not make up our own. That's my answer. God wants us to live in obedience to what he has said is good and what he has said is evil. If we decide we will be, which is what Adam and Eve did, and Adam and Eve aren't orphans, are they? Because you do this and I do this, don't we? We go, well, I want to do this. I think this is good. I'm going to do it. And sometimes we don't even, we don't even go and look and see what God has said. Whether We don't even ask the question, God, have you said this is good? I think it's good. It's pleasing to my eye. I'm, a, I'm drawn to it. If you like, I'm tempted to go with this. But is it what you say is good? We don't ask that question, but we need to ask that question. So that's, we need to realize that we are his image bearers and we are meant to be people who eat from the tree of life. The tree of life is all the way through the scriptures. It's from Genesis to Revelation uh, and numerous places and too many to list. But I've got a list if you want them. You could look them up. 
So I want to say this morning that you are going to defeat impeccable lies by cultivating biblical intimacy with God, by submitting to and obeying to what God said is good and evil. That's how you defeat impeccable lies. You pursue the knowledge of God through the scriptures and you submit to and obey what God says is good and evil. So last week I held my Bible up like this and I said something like, this is a Bible. Some of you remember that. So um, there... That's right. This is a Bible. Biblical truth exposes, disarms and disempowers the lies that we believe that corrupt us and our society. Biblical truth reveals God as he is, not as we imagine him to be. So important. We all have ideas about God, but unless we evaluate it by how he has revealed himself. That's why I love the theophanies. Remember theophanies? The God appearances. We need to gorge ourselves on the God appearances. We need to know where he shows up, where he has physically revealed himself and what that looks like and who he is and who he says he is. If you want to start somewhere, start in Exodus 34, about verse 6. When he comes and he stands before Moses, when Moses says, show me your glory, and he comes and he stands before them, and he speaks out his name, he says, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh, the eternal one. I am gracious and compassionate. I'm abounding in loving kindness and goodness. I'm merciful. That's who I am. That's my name. And I'm just. And I don't leave the guilty unpunished. How good is it to know that God is gracious, compassionate, abounding in loving kindness, and he's just. And he deals with unrepentant sin. So we need to know God as he is. And, and we need, and the Bible tells us how to relate to God as well. We, we, we have to understand, we, he is God, he is the eternal one. He has said, approach me in this manner. This is the way to have a relationship with me. So we go on. Uh, biblical truth gives our lives purpose. It fills us with eternal worth. Now, we did this series at the end of last year on priestliness and what it means to be image bearers of God and the distinct blessing and privilege it is to understand who we are and walk in that. And it's awesome. And I encourage you to continue to grow in that reality. Biblical truth instructs us on, on how to have God-honoring marriages and families where he's at the center, and friendships with co-workers and others. How to do friendship. You want to understand how to have a healthy friendship? You want to understand how to have a healthy marriage? There are instructions in here. There are definitions. If you actually do it, you'll find the truth of it. And some of you are, and you know what I'm talking about. And others of you are looking a bit like deer in the headlights. Anyway, it's... Uh, so, biblical truth tells us how the world got started and where history is going. So, in the middle of a pandemic, we go, this isn't the end of the story. Yeah, like, things are being shaken, 
which God said, I'm going to shake everything that can be shaken so that what's eternal will last. God in his wonderful mercy wants to shake things. He wants to shake your life and my life so that we let go of things that are not eternal. Which we are thinking, you know, we're like the, anyway, the monkey with the banana in the hand. The, yeah, that, that guy. The monkey, catch monkeys, put a pot, coconut, with a little hole in the top, big enough for him to get his hand in. You put peanuts in, he puts his hand in, he grabs the peanuts, he can't get his hand out. And the coconut, coconuts are attached to a trap and he's trapped and he's got a choice. Will he let go of the peanuts and escape? Or he try to keep getting it, right? Eventually the hunter comes and takes him home and eats him. <laughs> so we know this is not the end of the story. It shows us that God is ultimately in control. He's the beginning and the end. He had the first word, he's going to have the last word. So even as we watch people and we watch organizations and we watch governments raise their voices and say there's no god we're doing this on the earth we're in control we are powerful we know if we go to psalm 2 we get we get the reality why are the nations so angry why do they waste their time with futile plans the kings of the earth the government's the multi-billionaire business leaders, all these people, they prepare for battle against God. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And they say, we're going to break God's chains. We're not going to submit to him. We're going to do what we want. We rule the world. We're going to free ourselves from slavery to God. But the one who rules in heaven, God, what does he do? He laughs. He goes, you serious? He scoffs at them. And then in his anger, he rebukes them. He doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. And he rebukes them and he terrifies them with his fierce fury. Like a lion that's been asleep in the grass and then stands up and roars. And you go, oh boy, we're really in trouble now. We better run. And the Lord declares, I've placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem on my holy mountain. All right, so we expose and we disarm impeccable lives by cultivating intimacy with God. And we do, we expose and disarm impeccable lives by submitting to and obeying what God says is good and evil. So we've got to know the Bible. Uh, So, yep, great. VM's on top of it. Awesome. Uh, So read it, write it, the Bible I'm talking about, sing it. Pray it, listen to it, draw it, get it into your mind and heart, but above all, obey it. Obey it. Because information without obedience will produce pride and death in you. There are plenty of people running around the world with biblical information that they're not obeying and it's not doing them or anyone else any good at all. They're quoting Bible verses, but they're not obeying what God has said. Um, so secondly, we have to know Jesus. Have to know Jesus. He is the word made flesh. He's the Bible made flesh, if you like. And Jesus said of himself, I'm the way and the truth and the life. So 
I want to encourage you. Immerse yourself and your family in the four Gospels. Saturate, saturate your life with Jesus, with his character and what he said and did. All right? So Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, great books. Read them. Devour them. They're the most reliable sources we have. Uh, there are people that put out sort of... There are people that put out lies about Jesus, that they've discovered other Gospels, that they've got this and they've got, they've got that. Forget all that. It's all nonsense and rubbish. Matthew, Mark and Luke and John is who you need. Eyewitness sources, the ones who are written straight after the life of Jesus. Together in those four books, there's 89 chapters. How many days in a month, generally speaking? About 30. Those of you good mathematicians know that you could read three chapters a day. You're going to get through Matthew, Mark, Luke and John in a month. Imagine if that was your reading plan for the first six months of this year. You said, I'm going to read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. I'm going to read three chapters a day. I'm going to saturate myself in the life of Jesus. And what if if you did that, you, you wrote down everything Jesus said about God and himself. You're reading it through and you see, oh, he's saying this about God. And you've got a page and you write what Jesus says about God. You write that verse in there. And you have another page, what Jesus says about himself. You write things in there. And you have another page that says, what Jesus says I have to obey. Write, write things in there. If you did all those things, you would, you, would be, you would learn about Jesus and you would live a life of fruitfulness and you would be able to recognize and disarm impeccable lies in the blink of an eye. Because you would know him. The problem isn't the Bible. It's that it is not read. And it is not obeyed. That is the greatest issue our planet is facing. The disregard for God. The disregard for his word. The disregard to obey him. And this is a problem people in this church and throughout the body of Christ in the world. Christians are making up their own ideas about what's good and evil and what they can and can't do, and they're not looking at what God said. They're not, we are not bringing our lives into submission to him and obedience to him, and we're worse than that. We think God's okay with it. And I want to tell you this morning, he's not okay with it. He's not okay with you deciding what's good and evil, and that road leads to death. And he wants you in the tree of life. Obedience fills our hearts with life, with his life. Obedience to him fills us with life. So, let's wrap this up. What I've been saying is that we expose and disarm impeccable lies by submitting to and obeying what God says is good and evil. Parents, I want to encourage you. Some of you know you're already doing this, but let your children, even your teenage children, your young adult children, let them see you immersing yourself in the Bible and obeying Jesus. Both those two things together. Disciple your children by immersing them in the Bible and teaching them to obey Jesus. So first of all, you have to do it, immersing yourself in the Bible and obeying what Jesus says to do, so that you can disciple your children and immerse them in the Bible and in obeying what Jesus says to do.
You see, the serpent is going to take every opportunity he can to sow lies into your child. Julie and I had two sons. You all know them. Well, many of you know them because they're here. It's part of this church. And there there were times when we were shocked at at what they were doing when they were younger and we often found that the root of it was a lie that had got sowed in them. It wasn't what we had told them. It just like the serpent had weaved it into them. You know, he'd whispered it in their ears. Things like, mum and dad don't love you. Or other things as well. So I want you to understand, this is parents... This is not a neutral game. You know what I'm saying? It's not a like, oh, hang on. Well, we've got our kid. Our, our child uh, goes to, is enrolled in Fremantle Christian College or another Christian school. Our child goes to youth. Our child goes to kids. They're, they're getting it. No, no. You can't assume that this battle doesn't exist in the wider realm. It does. You have to be vigilant. You come back to the Garden of Eden. What is, what is the instructions given to Adam and Eve? Is tend and guard. Care for the garden and guard it. Parents, you've got children. They're part of your garden. You've got to guard them and tend for them, which doesn't mean suppress them and you know, not let them grow up or anything like that. But it's like have conversations with them. Listen to them. Listen to what comes out of their mouth, particularly when they're under pressure. Listen to what comes out of your own mouth, particularly when you're under pressure, because that really tells you a lot about yourself. When you're under pressure, that's who you really are. How you behave, how you speak, that's who you really are, right? Now, if that's a shock and if that's a wake-up call and you go, oh, I don't like that to be true about me, the great thing is you can ask God to help you change. Say, Jesus, this is the truth about me. Under pressure, I am a horrible human being. I'm angry, vindictive, I'm all these kind of things, I'm stressed and anxious, but Jesus, I don't want to be like that, I want to be like you. So please help me by transforming me to make me like you. So parents, disciple your children because the serpent's going to take every opportunity. So I'll close with this scripture from what Paul says in his letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. All scripture, all the Bible is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. And God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. As this year unfolds, I implore you to, for some of you, it will be a recommitment. It's like a, I'm signing up again. Yes, I need to let the word of God define what's good and evil. I need to immerse myself in knowing the scriptures and knowing Jesus. For some of you, it's a first time thing. This is all new to you or you've wandered away. You've been doing things. It's like sign up again at the start of this year to say, God, this year, this year, I'm going to immerse myself again. I'm going to return, repent, immerse myself in the scriptures. I'm going to 
obey you in everything. I'm going to search out what you say is good and what you say is evil and bring my life into alignment with you. Will you pray with me and stand as we do that this morning? Just in, I want to invite you as you stand, just close your eyes, open your hands to the Lord and just speak out your prayer, your response to Him in this moment. To signing up, to say, yes, I need to know the Bible and obey the Bible. I need to know Jesus and obey Jesus. saying, God, I don't want to be taken out by lies. I don't want to bite the hook of temptation and find out I'm, I'm trapped. My temptation, that I've followed the temptation that's led me away to death. Some of you, there's a, just know there's a battle right now things that you're tempted with. I want to say the Lord wants to deliver you from that. He will provide a way of escape but you have to choose to say no to the temptation. You have to choose to say no. I'm not going there. Oh Lord, deliver your people. Deliver us and set us free. Shape us and form us to be a people collectively. Lord, the collective comes because of the individual choices we made to immerse ourselves in your word, to obey your word, to immerse ourselves in knowing Jesus and obeying Jesus. So, Father of glory, this is my prayer for us as your people to be this kind of people. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.